gentlemen, bienvenue, and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Dear Evan Hansen. I've learned to slam on the brake Before I even turn the key Before I make the mistake Before I lead with the worst of me Give them no reason to stare No slipping up if you slip away So I got nothing to share No, I got nothing to say Step out, step out of the sun If you keep getting burned Step out, step out of the sun Because you've learned Because you've learned On the outside, always looking in Will I ever be more than I've always been? Cause I'm tap, tap, tapping on the glass I'm waving through a window Oh, I try to speak Nobody can hear, so I wait around for an answer to appear While I'm watch, watch, watching people pass I'm waving through a window Can anybody see? Is anybody waving back at me? But first, how are we doing? I hope this episode finds you well. If you donate at least $1 a month via patreon.com slash musicalmanpod, you are listening to this on a Monday. Hello. Hello, early access listeners, my early access patrons. And to all of my main feed musical minions, hello to you as well. I am celebrating this lovely Wednesday with you. Hello. We're all celebrating one way or another. We're celebrating. Put on your party hats and Blow it to those noisemakers! I almost had trouble coming up with the term noisemakers. So what are we doing in this opening segment? Well, we are celebrating the results of our very first Twitter bracket. That's right. If you have been following us on Twitter, our handle is MusicalManPod, of course. Uh, By the time this comes out, actually, we'll be starting, we'll already be really going for it when it comes to our new bracket. That's right. But I want to talk about the first bracket, okay? All right, it's going to be some time before our second one wraps up. So let's just linger on the past, okay? So that first bracket. If you're not familiar, if you don't follow us on Twitter, we were doing a bracket of the best musical winners. They were going up against each other in this bracket. On the left-hand side, we had all of these best musical winners from before the 1984 season. And then on the right side, we had all of these shows from the 1984 season and beyond, okay? So that's how we sort of split up the overall canon of shows that have won that award. I just love brackets so much. I am a blank check podcast devotee. I was inspired by their March Madness bracket from this just this past month, and I wanted us to have our own bracket. The final two shows at the end of the day, it was Company versus Hamilton, and I know that some people were a little upset by the final results, but Hamilton ultimately could not compete against Company. It was close, but not that close. I think it was about a, uh, I would say a 10% or so difference, but 
company won that bracket at the end of the day. And now this new bracket that we have going, that's much more, I'm even more excited about this one. I loved putting it together. These are all of these shows that were nominated for the Best Musical Award, but did not actually wind up winning. So we got a lot of amazing material in this new bracket. And I think it's going to get real contentious. I like it when, oh, I like a nail biter. You know this if you follow me on Twitter. I bump these polls all the time. Oh, I am, I'm obsessed with a nail biter. And I think we're going to have a lot of nail biters. Let's get to the show facts for this week's subject. Dear Evan Hansen, show me the show facts. Dear Evan Hansen was the 2017 winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on December 4th, 2016 at the Music Box Theater. The show's run has been temporarily suspended in light of the COVID-19 pandemic, though it had logged 1,363 performances as of March 11th, 2020. It is currently listed on Wikipedia as the 71st longest-running show in Broadway history, sitting snugly between The Music Man at number 70, 1,375 performances, and Funny Girl at number 72. 1,348 performances. The book was written by Stephen Levinson. The music and lyrics were written by Benj Pasek and Justin Paul. The director of the production was Michael Greff. The musical director was Ben Cohn. The choreographer, Danny Mefford. Scenic design, David Corenz. Lighting design, Jaffe Weedman. Sound design, Nevin Steinberg. Costume design, Emily Rebholtz. <laughs> what am I doing? The original Broadway cast included Ben Platt, Laura Dreyfus, Mike Faist, Rachel Bay Jones, Crystalline Lloyd, Broadway debut, hello, Michael Park, Will Rowland, Broadway debut, hello, and Jennifer Laura Thompson. In terms of, in terms of Tony Nods, uh, Dear Evan Hansen won, Best Musical, of course, Best Book of a Musical, Stephen Levinson, Best Original Score, Benj Pasek, and Justin Paul, Best Leading Actor in a Musical, Ben Platt, Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Rachel Bay Jones, surprising, and... <laughs> <laughs> and Best Orchestrations, Alex Lacamoire. Let's go with it. It was also additionally nominated for Best Featured Actor in a Musical, Mike Faist, Best Director of a Musical, Michael Greff, and Best Lighting Design, Jaffe Weidman. So ultimately, nine nominations, nine nominations in total, six awards at the end of the day. Let's talk about that plot, baby. Evan Hansen is an incredibly anxious high school senior who, at the behest of his therapist, has been writing letters to him himself as an exercise in positive thinking. Accentuating the positive proves difficult when Evan takes stock of his life. He recently broke his arm. His well-meaning mother, Heidi, has almost no time for him due to work, and the only friend he has, Jared Kleinman, can barely stand him. There is, of course, Zoe Murphy. Evan has had a crush on Zoe for years, but can never find the courage to talk to her. Everything changes when, on on the first day of school, Evan accidentally offends Zoe's brother, Connor. An awkward misunderstanding leads to Connor lashing out and shoving Evan to the ground, prompting Zoe to apologize for her brother's behavior. Evan's anxiety overtakes him, and their interaction comes to an end almost immediately. Evan retreats to the computer lab and dashes off a deeply honest Dear Evan Hansen letter, one which puts Zoe on a pedestal while questioning whether or not anyone would care if he ceased to exist. 
Evan and Connor share a more positive moment near the lab's printer, but when Connor reads the printout of Evan's letter, he stuffs it into his pocket and storms off. In a fit of worry, Evan turns to Jared and explains the situation, including why he's been writing letters to himself in the first place. A few days later, Evan is called into the principal's office where Connor and Zoe's parents, Cynthia and Larry Murphy, deliver disturbing news. Connor has committed suicide. What's more, the Dear Evan Hansen letter found in Connor's pocket has been mistakenly identified as his suicide note. When Evan is invited to the Murphy home for dinner, Jared advises him to keep his head down and his mouth shut. Instead, Evan lies asserting he and Connor were best friends who wrote to each other via secret email accounts. He also claims his broken arm came about while picking apples with Connor at a local orchard, an orchard that recently shut down. Heidi, having heard of Connor's suicide, tries to check in with Evan once he returns home from dinner with the Murphys. Evan dismisses her and makes it clear he never knew Connor. Inconsistency, Evan. Watch yourself with these inconsistencies, my boy. Jared agrees to help Evan produce a backlog of emails that can be shown to the Murphys as proof of Evan and Connor's friendship. This fictional correspondence brings a certain amount of peace to Cynthia, as it proves her son wasn't completely alone before he died, but for Larry it brings little more than bafflement and anger. Zoe, for her part, refuses to read any of the emails. She hated Connor and how poorly he treated her, but when Evan shows her the suicide note. She's taken aback by his positive portrait of her. Connor's positive portrait of her, ostensibly. Did Connor really care that much? Evan goes on to tell Zoe everything he feels about her through the filter of Connor's voice. He also tries to kiss her, and it does not work. Read the room, Evan. Time passes, and Evan begins to freak out. Having become highly dependent on the attention of the Murphys and feeling relevant for once in his life, he aims to keep Connor's memory alive in any way he can. To do this, Evan teams up with Jared and another student named Alana Beck to found The Connor Project. What is The Connor Project exactly? It's... Look, I don't know. It's sort of a perpetual awareness machine, and the official launch day will double as a school-wide memorial for Connor. The Murphy parents approve of this endeavor, and Cynthia gives Evan one of Connor's old ties to wear while speaking at the memorial. How does this speech go? Uh, yeah, well, it goes viral is what it does. It turns out everyone can relate to Evan's loneliness, Connor's loneliness. They absolutely love Evan for being so open and honest. And what's this? Zoe is kissing him? <laughs> Everything's coming up, Evan! Act 2. The Connor Project kicks off with a $50,000 fundraiser that aims to revitalize Evan and Connor's beloved apple orchard. But Evan doesn't care about the fundraiser. He routinely slacks off and ignores Alana, Jared, and his mom so he can spend more time with Zoe, who is now his girlfriend. I'm sorry, did you not hear him say everything was coming up, Evan? Yeah, everything's coming up, Evan! Maybe get with the program, everyone. 
Heidi is understandably confused as to what the hell is going on with her son. Why did Evan lie to her about his friendship with Connor? Since when is he about charity work? Where is all of this coming from? Evan throws these questions back in Heidi's face, suggesting she would know more about his life if she ever made time for him. Ouch! At the Murphy home, Larry gives Evan an unused baseball glove while bonding over their, uh, trauma and stuff. Zoe tells Evan she doesn't want their relationship to be rooted in said trauma, as trauma is a rough foundation on which to build. Build a relationship. A very good point, Zoe. Shit begins to hit the fan when Evan shows up for another Murphy dinner to find his mother at the table. Cynthia and Larry offer to give Evan the college fund they had set aside for Connor, which proves to be the breaking point for Heidi. She no longer feels she's a part of her son's life, and Evan admits he feels more at home with the Murphys than he does with her. Ouch! In other news, Alana has started to notice discrepancies in the correspondence between Evan and Connor, discrepancies Jared refuses to help our hero fix. They start to argue, and Jared's like, Oh, I'm going to expose you, Evan! And Evan's like, Oh, well, you'd only be exposing yourself, Jared! This is when the show makes a pit stop within the squirmy recesses of Evan's mind. Our boy is tired of deceiving everyone. He's ready to pull the plug and face the music. It is at this moment a vision of Connor appears to Evan and begs, begs, begs him to keep their friendship alive, telling the truth would only hurt people and cause Evan to lose everything, including Zoe. Evan's like, oh, you're right, imaginary Connor. I should keep lying. Thanks a bunch, my man. But Alana is no longer convinced. She's backing away from the Connor project. She has to be kept in line, and so Evan shows her Connor's suicide note. This should keep her on Team Evan, right? Oh, indeed it does. In fact, Alana is so moved by the note that she publishes it online, a decision which inadvertently brands Larry and Cynthia as targets for online abuse. Connor's parents drove him to suicide. We should shame them accordingly would seem to be the hot take. Ah, the internet, am I right? Cancel culture, etc. Long story short, Evan confesses everything once he sees how the Murphys are being torn apart all over again. They are not happy with this news, as one might expect. Heidi sees the suicide note online and immediately recognizes it as one of Evan's therapy letters. She tells her son they'll be able to get through anything if they trust each other, and Evan implies his broken arm came about as a result of his own suicide attempt. One year later, Evan is working at Pottery Barn and saving up for college. He reaches out to Zoe and she asks him to meet her at the Apple Orchard. We learn the Murphys agreed to keep Evan's deception a secret as exposing him would only lead to more outrage. Evan asks Zoe why she wanted to meet at the Orchard and she essentially says, well, I thought it might be nice for you to actually see it. They part on good terms, and Evan vows to uh, do better in the future? I assume the Connor Project was able to raise the 50k, and this explains why the Apple Orchard is open again. 
I guess it doesn't matter. The end. For the purposes of this week's episode, I listened to the 2016 original Broadway cast album. I watched the 2017 Tony Awards performance of Waving Through a Window. Let's talk about that. The set, such as it is, is sterile and chilly, evoking nothing more than a sense of uh, foreboding. Monolithic screen towers, ooh, flickers of fuzzy imagery attempting to pierce through a limitless black expanse. Is this 1984? Are we visiting a museum installation after hours? Can I expect to watch ads from Southwest and Ford during intermission? We really need to cut it out with these flat screen collages masquerading as set designs. They are dull, they draw attention from the actors, and they must be a pain in the ass to maintain. I used to think Ben Platt's choice to close his eyes every three seconds was related to his character work. Evan is a Super Mario shy guy after all, but now I know better. Closing his eyes is Platt's thing. It's just his thing. It is very much his thing. And this would be fine for a musician, which is what he seems to be going for as of late, but as an actor, it reads as a deflection tactic, a way to guard himself from engaging with the audience for too long. The eyes are the window to the soul. Ben, show me those peepers. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Close your eyes throughout all of the merrily we roll along? movie adaptation? I mean, come on, find a middle ground at least. Try. Finally, the staging of this number is flat as hell. A lot of uh, frumping about and uh, standing in lines, blah. Listening to Waving Through a Window conjured up a ton of stage pictures in this brain of mine, and I would love to get my hands on it. Simply put, I need the number to utilize actual choreography. I needed to embrace dance, dress the dancers in dark clothes so we don't lose track of Evan. I do believe he should be the point of focus, but make it clear the dancers are also an extension of his anxiety. Let's let's have fun with an abstract image or two. You know, they're always advancing, forming clusters that threaten to consume Evan. It's all very on the nose, and we can have him bust out of those clusters in a variety of ways. Oh, it would be wonderful, I say. Imagine the amount of backpack swinging we could do. Oh, the backpack swinging. And finally, I read the preview chapter of the 28 novelization of Dear Evan Hansen. This is a novelization written by Val Emick, though uh, Levinson, Pasek, and Paul are also credited as authors on this novelization. I am just fascinated by the fact that a musical was adapted into a novel. You know, usually 9.9 times out of 10, it's the other way around. I would love to see more novelizations of Broadway musicals. I think that's a fascinating idea, and Val Emick's work on this book is obviously quite good. It actually does a much better job of putting me in Evan's shoes because it is it is told through Evan's first-person perspective, and I would be interested in reading that. Once the libraries are open, I more than likely will track that down. I also, I gotta read that book. The book of the show is available through the CPL system, but of course I can't access that now. I can't. It's, uh, I just can't, but I will eventually track that down because I gotta know if I'm missing something. I really dislike Evan. You'll find out real, you'll find out in great granular detail why I do not like this character if it isn't if it isn't already obvious. But I want I do question whether or not I'm missing something. Let's move on to our deconstruction of the score. Let's start with anybody have a map? Have you been writing those letters to yourself? Dear Evan Hansen, this is gonna be a good day, and here's why. I started one. Those letters are important, honey. They're gonna help you build your confidence. I guess. Can we try to have an optimistic outlook? 
Can we buck up just enough to see the world won't fall apart? Maybe this year we decide we're not giving up before we've tried. This year we make a new start. Hey, I know, you can go around today and ask the other kids to sign your cast. How about that? Perfect. I'm proud of you already. Oh, good. Another stellar conversation for the scrapbook. Another stumble as I'm reaching for the right thing to say. Everybody have a map chugs along with an agreeable, scrappy energy. There's no shortage of zest or confidence here, but I'm not convinced this is the best way to open the show. I believe Pasek and Paul meant for waving through a window to kick things off and only wrote map after receiving a note from someone. Something like, eh, you can't raise the curtain and have Evan standing in a spotlight. I'm confused, which means people will be confused. You have to set the table before we eat, boys. Take us by the hand. Give us a tour of the facilities before pushing us into the deep end of the pool. I'm picturing a producer with a lot of concerns in this scenario, a lot of mixed metaphors, someone who really needed to have their way. Now, minor conspiracy theories aside, that is pure conjecture on my part. Map writes a check. Pasek and Paul have no interest in cashing. And the song places its focus on Heidi and Cynthia, eh, mothers who are struggling to hold their families together. Is Dear Evan Hansen about Heidi and Cynthia? No, it's about Evan Hansen. Do we regularly check in with Heidi and Cynthia? Not really, not musically at least. Heidi won't have another major solo until Act 2, and Cynthia never gets a number of her own. These women simply do not rank high on the show's list of priorities, which is why Window should be our opening number. I like Map well enough, but it should be cut in favor of additional book material. I may as well say this now. Uh, I, oh boy, okay. So Rachel Bage Jones is a flop as Heidi, a real flop. The character routinely puts on a happy face for her son in a bid to connect with and inspire him. Heidi loves this moody, inscrutable kid. She wants so badly to be the mom he needs and routinely falls short of her own sky-high expectations. This is a solid part. There's a great deal to turn over, to chew on here. Oh, but Jones's approach makes Heidi look less like a well-meaning tryhard and more like a snide co-worker of Evan's. Oh, hey, Evan, how's your Monday, buddy? Read any good books lately? The audible condescension in her voice really rubbed me the wrong way. I shouldn't be siding with Evan when it comes to disliking his mother, should I? Of course not! We can strike a better balance between weariness and outright irritation, Rachel Bay Jones. Can anybody see? Is anybody waving? When you're falling in a forest and there's nobody around, do you ever really crash or even make a sound? Falling in a forest and there's nobody around Do you ever really crash or even make a sound? When you're falling in a forest and there's nobody around Do you ever really crash or even make a sound? When you're falling in a forest and there's nobody around Do you 
make a sound. on my earlier point. Yes, yes, uh, waving through a window is the rightful heir to the opening number throne. It's Pace and Paul's slam dunk, their touchdown, their home run, their victorious volleyball spike, whatever. I like how expertly the song builds to its bombastic conclusion. I like how Ben Platt is screaming his face off, even if his eyes are closed 85% of the time. And I like how the use of repetition paints depression as a broken record. The lyrics, when you're falling in a forest and there's nobody around, do you ever really crash or even make a sound, are the sort of dark thoughts Evan can't manage to escape or evade, and I can certainly relate to that. But hear me out for a second. Wouldn't this song be more effective in the long term if it were sung by Evan and Connor? They're very much alike in how they struggle with feelings of isolation, and if you put them on equal footing here in this song, it would make Connor's death even more of a punch to the gut. This is a false expectation I can get behind. If you lead us to believe your story is about a pair of characters and one of them takes their own life early on, it leaves us to process how anyone could be on the verge of making such a decision. Evan could have just as easily been the one to go because people commit suicide every day, people who needed help and weren't able to access it. Assuring people they're not alone is already a highly prevalent theme of this week's subject. And I believe turning window into a duet would only enrich said theme further. I would also prefer to never see Connor on stage after his death. As written, the show routinely drags him back into our lives so he can spout jokes and serve as a mental crutch for Evan, which I found to be fairly offensive. Let the dead stay dead. Don't undermine the power of absence for the sake of bits and melodrama. But if we have to keep that stuff, the least we can do is hear more from Connor while he's actually alive. To that end, I say once more, make Waving Through a Window a two-hander. Jonathan, perhaps we should be reviewing the show as it exists and not what it could be. Ah, fair point. End of May or early June This picture-perfect afternoon we share Drive the winding country road Grab a scoop at a la mode And then we're there An open field that's framed with trees We pick a spot and shoot the breeze Like buddies do Quoting songs by our favorite bands and Telling jokes no one understands Except us two And we talk and take in the view All we see is sky for forever We let the world pass by 
this way Two friends on a perfect day Half the time I wonder if Dear Evan Hansen fans care about the narrative context behind most of its score. Take a song like For Forever, which sounds like it was engineered in a lab to give the listener goosebumps. The silky first half gives way to a dynamite vocal performance on the part of Ben Platt. The whole thing sounds excellent, and I suppose this is enough for some people, but I can't get over what's actually happening here in this scene. Evan is leaning into his deception and he is leaning so hard. He is casting a spell on the Murphy family. His lies come easily, and they are delivered with supreme gusto. Yes, but isn't it lovely? No! I'm not exaggerating when I say Evan requires serious evaluation. No more of these Dear Evan Hansen letters. That's baby stuff. We need a top-tier analyst, and we need them yesterday. If you told me Evan bumped Connor off himself... I wouldn't bat an eye. What can I say? Pathological liars freak me out. I don't have any interest in learning about their intent. Are we done yet? Well, I can't just give them one email. I want to show that I was, like, a good friend, you know? Oh, my God. Dear Connor Murphy, yes, I also miss our talks. Stop doing drugs. Just try to take deep breaths and go on walks. No. I'm sending pictures of the most amazing trees. No. Be obsessed with all my forest expertise. Absolutely not. Dude, I'm proud of you. Just keep pushing through. You're turning around. I can see. Just wait and see. Because all that it takes is a little grief and vengeance. It's easy to change if you give it your attention. All you gotta do is just believe you can be who you wanna be. Sister's hot. What the hell? My bad. Dear Revan Hansen, thanks for every note you send. Dear Connor Murphy, I'm just glad to be your friend. Our friendship goes beyond your average kind of fun. But not because we're gay. No, not because we're gay. We're close, but not that way. The only man that I love is my dad. Well, anyway. Sincerely Me doubles down on Pace and Paul's tendency to dress up troubling scenarios as radio-friendly bops. Evan and Jared are having a grand old time here, rolling around in a Ben Folds pastiche while hammering out their scheme to fool the Murphy family. I'm not a fan of it. What's more disagreeable, Evan painting himself as the one person who tried to bring Connor back from the brink, or how the number ends with him singing Miss You Dearly? Connor is dead, Evan. There are people in this world 
world who actually miss him dearly. You're out of your mind. As I mentioned earlier, the way this show turns Connor into nothing more than a prop after his death is beyond dispiriting. In Sincerely Me, he's made to recite Evan and Jared's imbecilic emails, and it's supposed to be funny. Oh, goodness gracious me, oh my. They're making Connor say the darndest of things, I do say. None of it works, especially the gay jokes. Connor and I weren't gay. Gay? No way! Shut up! Evan dives headfirst into a lie without a moment's hesitation, but if you imply he might, might be gay, oh, he will slam the brakes on you so damn fast. I'm not gay, that's a falsehood. Fuck you, Evan. Within these words, I finally find you. And now that I know that you are still here, I will sing no requiem tonight. Why should I have a heavy heart? Why should I say I'll keep you with me? Why should I go and fall apart for you? Hansen shines brightest when it shoves Evan out of the way and offers the floor to the Murphy family. These characters are always operating from a position of brutal honesty, and I can hardly get enough of their testimonials. Zoe refuses to mourn a brother who never had a kind word for her. I'm here for it. Larry is stewing in a mixture of sorrow and indignation. My ears are open, Larry baby. Cynthia is breathing for the first time in days. Tell me more, tell me more. Like, does she have a car? This is real deal, true blue drama. I'm sinking my teeth into it. I can actually empathize with these people and it's a refreshing change of pace. The only note I have, and it's a small one, the only note I have to give applies to the following lyrics from Pasek and Paul. I will sing no requiem tonight, cause when the villains fall, the kingdoms never weep. Not great, right? Zoe isn't written as the sort of person who would express herself via lightweight metaphor. She's a straight shooter through and through, so this moment came out of left field for me. A little clunky, again though, I am nitpicking. He thought you were awesome. He thought I was awesome. My brother? Definitely. How? Well, he said, There's nothing like your smile, sort of subtle and perfect and real. He said, You never knew how wonderful that smile could make someone feel. And he knew 
Whenever you get bored, you scribble stars on the cuffs of your jeans. <laughs> and he noticed that you still fill out the quizzes that they put in those teen magazines. But he kept it all inside his head. What he saw, he left unsaid. And though he wanted to, he couldn't talk to you. He couldn't find a way. But he would always say, If I could tell her, tell her everything I see. If I could tell her how she's everything to me. But we're a million worlds apart And I don't know how I would even start If I could tell her If I could tell Did he say anything else? Uh, about you? <laughs> Never mind, I don't really care anyway. No, 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 just, no, no, he said, he said so many things I'm just, I'm trying to remember the best ones because I'm largely incapable of lying and always have been. Maybe it's because I had an experience in high school that showed me how actions can have long-lasting consequences. But Evan lost me when he didn't come clean in the principal's office, and he officially becomes a monster during this number, if I could tell her. Buttering up a crush with false praise from her dead brother Wow! You have really outdone yourself, kiddo. Zoe will go over this conversation for years. The memory of it will send a chill down her spine and affect her ability to trust people in the future. And I'm not convinced Evan will look back on it with the appropriate amount of remorse. All Evan cares about is getting laid. Period. The attention he receives from Larry and Cynthia, come on, that's a bonus. The real prize is Zoe. He's immature, he's still a kid, he's rotten, and should be forced to live in a cheaply padded cell. No one deserves to be forgotten. No one deserves to fade away. No one should come and go and have no one know he was ever even here no one deserves to disappear to disappear disappear it's true even if you've always been that barely in the background kind of guy you still matter and even if you're somebody who can't escape the feeling that the world's passed you by you still matter if you never get around to doing some remarkable thing that doesn't mean that you're not worth remembering think of the people who need to know they need to know so you need to I show need them to show that no one deserves to be forgotten no one deserves to be Disappear. When you're falling 
calling it the Connor Project. The Connor Project? A student group dedicated to keeping Connor's memory alive, to showing that everybody should matter. We have to do this. Not just for Connor. For everyone. Are we meant to take Evan and Connor's conversation at face value? This is the number disappear, by the way. When Connor appears before Evan and begs him to keep his memory alive, what is the intended effect? A movement... A movement within me. I am meant to be moved. Give me a break. This is nothing more than romanticized rationalization. I find it especially insulting how our Evan co-ops it gets better style messaging to keep himself in the spotlight. Evan Hansen is James Frey. He's going to wind up sitting in front of Oprah crying his eyes out while making money hand over fist. I only wanted to help, Oprah. I only wanted to help. Share it with the people you love. Repost. The world needs to hear this. A beautiful tribute. Favorite. I know someone who really needed to hear this today. So thank you, Evan Hansen, for doing what you're doing. I never met you, Connor, but coming on here, reading everyone's posts, it's so easy to feel alone, but Evan is exactly right. We're not alone. None of We're us. not alone. None of us. None of us. None of us are alone. Like. Well, especially now, with everything you hear in the news. Like. Share. Repost. Thank you, Evan Hansen, for giving us a space to remember Connor. To be together. Michigan, Vermont, Sacramento. Thank you. Evan Thank you. to know I'm taking a break from ragging on Evan for now. In lieu of ragging on Evan, I'd like to point out how You Will Be Found could easily find a home in another Pasek and Paul project, that being the hopelessly silly and eminently rewatchable film The Greatest Showman. I'd be down to hear a mashup of You Will Be Found and This Is Me. value of these gung-ho, rah-rah, sis-boom-ba, clarion calls is, of course, negligible. Listening to them is like downing an entire milkshake in less than three minutes. But who doesn't feel like a milkshake every now and then? The only part of You Will Be Found I don't need is when a number of actors are called upon to say things like, favorite, like, repost, They must have known this wouldn't age well. Tweet, retweet, that feeling when, shake my damn head, slip into my DMs, gag me, zaddy. This glove's really cool, wow. Why don't you take it? Oh, no, no, I couldn't. Why not? Are you sure? I bought this glove a thousand years ago. 
Larry deserved better than to break in a glove. For my money, the Murphys are the heart and soul of this story. And while Requiem does an excellent job of exposing us to their inner lives, Glove refuses to continue that work with Larry. What do we learn about him in this number? His conversation with Evan is dull and awkward, and reading between the lines is not rewarding for me at all. Not interested. And where the hell is Cynthia's number? Huh? I have to sit through this tedious exercise in male bonding, but we couldn't find any time for Cynthia. Ah, let the women, let the women speak. Give the women equal time. Oh, before I forget, I never would have expected to make this comparison, but there is a real Duncan chic streak running throughout this show. To break in a glove owes a debt to the composer's style of casual ennui, chic's style of casual ennui, I should say, and Zoe is straight up channeling Spring Awakening throughout Requiem. That chic sauce has been baked into the pasta Italia manja manja. Sell me on reasons to want you I don't need you to search for the proof that I should You don't have to convince me You don't have to be scared you're not enough Cause what we've got going is good I don't need more reminders of all that's been But I'd rather forget Clear the slate and start over Trying to quiet the noises in your head We can't compete with all that Laura Dreyfus is the undeniable star of Dear Evan Hansen. Her straightforward, open-hearted performance of Only Us left me squarely in her pocket, and I would go to bat for her take on Zoe any day of the week. If only I could warn Zoe, listen to me, Zoe. Evan is not, not who you think he is. If this were a Lifetime movie, he would already be coming at you with a knife. I'm sure Zoe will be fine. Zoe will rebuild in the wake of Evan's destructive behavior. She will do the work. Zoe, good. Evan, bad. Dear Evan Hansen, more like Dear Evan Batson. So you found a place where the grass is greener And you jump the fence to the other side Is it good? Are they giving you a world I could never provide?
I tell you what, hearing people yell at Evan is so satisfying, even if it is only happening in his mind. But what is Rachel Bay Jones going for during this good for you number? The mom from Next to Normal by way of Alanis Morissette? I'm supposed to be in awe of Heidi's anger, blown away by it, and all I can manage is a wince. And is Jones the one screaming, So you got what you always wanted, duh! At the end of this track, So you got what you always wanted! Oh my god, it'd be, uh, 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 So you got what you always wanted, uh. Wanted! Yeah, I'm gonna need another take, Rachel. Do me a favor and excise the performative grunt, Wanted! Uh. Stop it. I never meant to make it such a mess I never thought that it would go this far So I just stand here, sorry Searching for something to say Something to say Words fail Words fail There's nothing I can say Words Fail is so long, and the only thing I hear is Ben Platt's congested breathing. Stop, please, someone get this kid a Kleenex. My heart sort of breaks over how my heart refuses to break for Evan. I want to care for the lead character of every musical, and I don't mean to be an Adam Carolla asshole about this, but grow the fuck up, Evan. If words fail, why are you talking so much? I love when he says, this was just a sad invention, because it's maybe the understatement of the century. If Evan were a real kid standing in front of me, I'm sure I would have more to offer in the way of patience and empathy, but as a fictional construct, he is not worth my attention. I will never forget how you sat up and said, is there another truck coming to our driveway? A truck that will take mommy away. Right here 
matter what. There are bite-sized portions of So Big, So Small that manage to play me like a fiddle, if only for a hot second. That reference to baby Evan thinking a truck would take his mom away, of course that got to me. I am a human being after all. I'm not an emotional wind tunnel like Evan. This is the closest Rachel Bay Jones gets to finding a relatively human wavelength and sticking to it. Grounded, grounded, uh, relatively, but she still isn't entirely successful, I'm sorry to say. She's still twisting her voice into knots and beating up random notes for the sake of appearing authentic. Oh my god, I am so raw right now. Oh wow, twist it. I am totally living in the moment. Arr, it hurts. Acting hurts. Uh-huh. This isn't mother courage, Miss Jones. No one's asking you to moan through every other vowel. Do better by doing less. Dear Evan Hansen, today is going to be a good day. And here's why, because today, today at least you're you. And that's enough. All we see is sky for forever. We so what, we didn't feel like writing a proper final number? I mean, do whatever you want. Go out on a reprise of four forever, if you must. But don't insult me by calling this a finale. You're telling me Pacing and Paul couldn't knock out one more song and send us out on a high note? I smell the whiff of late-stage laziness is what I smell. Smells like senioritis to me. I mean, we've made our point. We don't need another song, have you? Do you not? Don't even get me started when Evan says, you're you and that's enough. Look, buddy, we could all stand to do some work on ourselves, but you, you need to hunker down and get your shit together. Stop stealing shit from Pottery Barn and blaming it on Anthony. He's 83 years old, he served in World War II, and everyone here loves him. We would bury you before turning on Anthony. Well, that does it for our deconstruction of the Dear Evan Hansen score, and now it's time to hear a word from our sponsor, Five Six. Six, seven, eight, coffee. Take it away, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, wow, thank you very much for this cup of five, six, seven, eight coffee. Oh, you're cute, hey, give me your call. Okay, so where was I? Ah, you know what? Let me put a pin in what we were talking about a moment ago. This cup of five, six, seven, eight coffee reminds me of a story that I've been meaning to tell you for a long time. Uh, now, as you know, I'm the old lady from Candide. Of course, we've known each other for years. Not really, a, not really a need for an introduction, but here's the thing about me. Everyone knows I have this one big story, right? I always tell everyone, I lost one half of my butt, okay? One of my buttocks was taken from me, and everyone keeps asking me, old lady, why? Why was your butt taken away? Why? And I say to them, hi-ya, stop with the questions, okay? But I'm going to tell you right now that all has to do with five, six, seven, eight coffee. Now this all took place during the war. Don't ask me what war. Don't ask me what the war was. Okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. Too many to count. Okay. I am easily assimilated. I have survived many a war, but this was a doozy. Oh, ho, 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 ho. There was no Christmas that year. There was no ho, ho, ho to be heard far and wide. But one day a soldier came to my front door. I was living in a shack made out of paper. It was a paper house that I had to hold up with my own spit. Hotoy, hotoy, hotoy. And this soldier said to me, I have five, six, seven, eight coffee in my pick. In my pick. Would you like a cup of 
five, six, seven, eight coffee, I am dying of hunger. And I said, I have not had five, six, seven, eight coffee in many a corn moon, a many a new corn moon. And so I brought him into my paper house and I had him spit, spit on the paper, a tui, a tui, as I made us a five, six, seven, eight coffee mug, oh, two mugs, one for the each of us. And I said to him, here's the thing, I don't have any food, but I can offer you a different kind of protein. How about you carve off one of my buttocks? It's my left buttock that he took off. And so he took out his penknife and he spent the next six hours chopping off my buttock. And we roasted it with some butter and some squash and oh, 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 how we had a feast. It was a Christmas feast. A Christmas, even though Christmas had officially been canceled then. And we had a warm cups of five, six, seven, eight coffee and we ate my ass. I'm telling you, we ate my ass and it was the most delicious thing in the world. I'm telling you that after that soldier left, I cut off my other buttock. That's right, that's right. I sit on a pillow, a pillow attached to my body, my frame. I ate the other half of my butt because I tasted so damn tasty. I ate my own ass. And that's the story of how five, six, seven, eight cost me my own ass. Ah, this is the old, okay, I gotta get out of here. This is the old lady from Candide. Again, no need for an introduction or an exit interview, but uh, you know me, and uh, that's my story. Everybody get it? Okay, oh, uh, oh, what time is it? Oh, there's another war starting. Okay, I am easily assimilated. I've got to get under a rock. Oh, oh. Final thoughts on Dear Evan Hansen. Dear Evan Hansen, <laughs> I mean, what else is there to say? This is such a weird fucking show. It's as if the team wanted to produce a more digestible next to normal and wound up with something far more troubling and tone deaf in the process. This isn't shocking when you consider Michael Graff also directed Next to Normal. Diminishing returns, Michael, do not drink from the same well twice. Diminishing returns, what does he mean? Next to Normal was only nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. Dear Evan Hansen won the Tony Award for Best Musical. <gasps> musical man, more like foolish man. Oh, I'm sorry. I couldn't hear you whispering because I was choking on my own tongue. I'm a fan of Pacing and Paul's sturdy as hell Lisa Frank pop chops, but not when they are in service of a narrative that leaves me feeling this queasy. The greatest showman knew enough to omit everything about P.T. Barnum that was atrocious before attempting to sell the guy as a protagonist. That is a wildly cynical approach to storytelling, to be sure, but at least the final product was consistent in its softball approach. Showman understands it's a fairy tale and doesn't pretend otherwise. It's like a comfortable hookup where both parties know exactly what they can expect going in. There's no need for deeper feeling. I'm never going to learn your last name or meet your parents. Just unload and go. Dear Evan Hansen, by comparison, seems to think it can put rubber padding on the sharpest points of its story and get away with calling itself honest, real, meaningful, and that simply does not fly with me. You can't play with bumpers and call it professional bowling. Or, to bring it back to The Greatest Showman, you can't have Barnum perform an autopsy on a dead black woman, which he did in real life, and close the night out with a reflective solo on everything life has taught him. That would be a little hard to swallow, wouldn't it? Speaking of unload and go. Yes, it would! So forgive me for not being able to overlook Evan's deranged behavior simply because he has a high tenor belt. Oh, such high notes! We stand a junior American 
Psycho. Now, as a reminder, in 2017, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was, of course, Dear Evan Hansen, and the other shows nominated that season were Come From Away, Groundhog Day, and a show we've talked about in the past, Natasha, Pierre, and The Great Comet of 1812. I don't believe Dear Evan Hansen should have won the Tony Award for Best Musical. I believe I said this during our Natasha episode. I believe Natasha, Pierre, and The Great Comet of 1812 should have won the Tony Award for Best Musical. Let's rank Dear Evan Hansen against all of the other shows we have covered here on the podcast. I'm putting Dear Evan Hansen at number 32 between, uh, let's see here, No Strings at number 31 and a show that just this week moved into the number 33 slot. This is a new position for this show. Ah, uh, let's see what it is. Ah, oh, that's right. Once. That's right. 31, No Strings. 32, Dear Evan Hansen. Number 33, Once. We also had another show move this past week. Rent has moved into the number 27 slot, and I believe that is the only other change that occurred this week. Again, as always, if you want to check out how we've ranked all of our subjects against each other, you can go to our Twitter profile. Even if you don't use Twitter, you can still go to Musical Man Pod, and you can click on that pinned tweet. Go to the second tab. You'll see how all of the shows have been ranked. It's true. Show-related ephemera? I'm sort of coming up empty when it comes to Hanson ephemera. Last week, we had sexy hamburgers dancing to a parody of Hello, Dolly. And this week, uh, what? What do I have? A wimpy Owl City cover of Waving Through a Window that sounds like a jingle for a combination laundry and pachinko machine? Ah, forget it. I'm not putting you through that, and we are definitely not wading into the Dear Evan Hansen swamp, the swamp of YouTube parody songs from Dear Evan Hansen. Jesus Christ, there's a YouTube upload. This is the full title of a YouTube video I found, and we are not playing any audio from it, but the title of it is Waving Through a Window, Dear Evan Hansen, Coronavirus Parody by the Scott Family in Quarantine. Two exclamation points, coronavirus is spelled out as two words. So a lot going on in the in the title of that YouTube video. Oh, alas, much like Dear Evan Hansen itself, these results are less than inspiring. To determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, Me Cha Cha, You Cha Cha. Everyone ready? Then away we go. <laughs> Okay, we have landed in the year 1968. This is a show that was nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It ran for 286 performances, and the name of that show, this is a more obscure one. I have no real reference for it. Actually, no, I've listened to this cast recording. Robert Goulet, he's in this. It's The Happy Time. That's right. Our next subject will be The Happy Time. <laughs> Listen, do me a favor. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you, yes you, can support the show financially. You can donate one, three, five, or ten dollars a month. If you donate one dollar a month, you will get Monday early access to main feed episodes. You will get verbal shoutouts every single week. Let's do that now. Thank you so much for donating. Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marcus, Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. You will also get bonus episodes covering the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for the film Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid Live, a review of the film Cats, and a review of the musical Emma. 
cinema, as well as a review of the online concert, Take Me to the World. You will also get episodes of Radio Boy, a weekly short-form series for which I take a closer look at myself and the songs that make me feel more like myself. And remember, starting on June 24th, you will get monthly episodes of M3, The Movie Musical Man, for which I will watch trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. If you donate at least $1 a month, you get all of that. And if you move up to the $3 a month tier, you get all of that. You get everything I've already mentioned and described, but you also get a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. That's right. You also get access to Season 1, 10 episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast. If you move up to the next tier, $5 a month, you get everything I've already mentioned. Plus, you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss here on the podcast. You also get access to Season 1, 12 episodes of All I Ask of You, the advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera. You get access to my ongoing series of Broadway and Chicago reviews, and you get Shout About It, Volume 1, a collection of all of our 5, 6, 7, 8 ads and musical shoutouts from the first 50 episodes of the podcast, I believe? No, the first 25 episodes. I am going to eventually begin work on Volume 2. That'll take us up to Episode 50. But for now, you can get all that, all that delicious, all that delicious character work, all those wonderful characters from the musical theater canon. They came into our studio. You can relive all of those wonderful memories. And finally, if you go to the $10 a month tier, you get everything I've already described, plus Season 1, 12 episodes of The Snub Club, a series dedicated to Broadway musicals that were never, never nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. They were snubbed. As a reminder, 100% of the May and July payouts from our Patreon page will go to the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to write a five-star review. You might also be streaming the show through Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com or Stitcher. You can follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Thanks, as always, to Patty and Benny in the booth, Alex Green for our beautiful logo, and Zach Little for our fabulous music. <laughs> well, 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 you know what that sound means, huh? Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, auf Wiedersehen, and good night. <laughs>